Welcome to Debt to Cinema. I'm Brian Gillis. And I'm Stephen Maltmanex. Like most people, we love going to the theater and catching latest releases. However, and sadly, put a big dent in your wallet. Fortunately, living in the digital age makes the viewing possibilities endless from the comforts of home. Many of these films that you can see right from your couch, we're ashamed to say we miss, despite labeling ourselves cinephiles. So join us as one or both of us cross off a title from our list of shame. It can be an all-time essential classic. Or an underrated piece of cinema that's worth giving a shot. Hell, it might just be some trashy film we want the other's opinion on. So sit tight and join us as we pay off our debts, one dollar at a time. Across the sea of stars lies another world, a world almost exactly like ours. This is where he lives. He's 27 years old, single but searching. Favorite sports, windsurfing and Aikido. Favorite pastimes, cigars and sex. He has everything except fulfillment. And then one night, it happens. Hey, good buddy, are you home? He has a very sudden midlife crisis. He lands in Cleveland. Here, he's forced to reassess his career goals. You went to med school? To explore new relationships. <coughs> to redefine his self-image. I'm sorry, we don't allow pets on the premises. To adjust to a changing lifestyle. I pull it out! Until he discovers just who he really is. A duck in big trouble. That's a duck, man! Howard the Duck, trapped in a world he never made. Gardens of the Galaxy is coming out this week, Yay. Volume 2. I think everyone loved the first one, and part of that was, hey, look, there's a Howard the Duck cameo for, like, five seconds <laughs> that everyone wouldn't shut the fuck up about because, hey, the very first Marvel movie ever made was Howard the Duck, and now he's in maybe the best one. I've heard, don't, if you're listening to this, do not check the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 Wikipedia page. I heard it's full of spoilers. Like yeah, they the just did screenings tonight at some places. So I know people No, are no, no, crazy. way before that. It's already wide release in the UK. Oh, really? Don't, don't, I'm pretty sure, just the amount yeah, of people that makes sense. I mean, on the they, internet. Yeah, the other territories usually get yeah. a week ahead of time in the summer. Don't check Wikipedia for that. Don't, like, James Gunn retweeted someone. Anyway, so... This is something that I want to do a long time ago. I've seen almost every Marvel movie, seen almost every comic book adaptation. Have you seen the Roger Moore uh, Fantastic Four Captain America I, I'm not counting that. That wasn't officially released. It went direct to video as, like, a mistake. Like, it wasn't even supposed to get released. Like, that was basically piracy. But I've seen, like, the lesser things, like uh, Swamp Thing by Wes Craven. And, well, now this. But um, fucking The Punisher with Dolph Lundgren, Punisher Warzone. Especially, I've seen almost every superhero movie, like both Hellboys, all three Blades, even like the first episode of that Blade episode, uh, TV show. But on paper, despite everyone saying how bad this is, and it is, on paper, it's really interesting. You got George Lucas producing something at the height of his popularity. Mm -hmm. This is 86. Star Wars just ended two years earlier. You got ILM doing special effects. Yeah. Thomas Dolby is making original songs. Um, matter of fact, there's a closing number, the the theme song, Howard <laughs> the Duck, that's co-written by George Clinton. You have an interesting creative duo, Gloria Katz and Willard Hook, who were the co-writers of American Graffiti, yeah. among other things. They're, I think they uh, even – I have not seen that in forever, but I swear that portions of this – and I, I might I skimmed through some trivia, but I think portions of this were shot in that town. Where they shot American um, graffiti for I the see chase that. in that, the plane. That's possible. 
the plane chase, the ultralight vehicle, mm-hmm. that was shot by Joe Johnston. The cast, you got Leia Thompson one year after Back to the Future, so the height of her film-going uh, career. You got Jeffrey Jones, who's not a lot of things, but is pretty funny in all of them, including Beetlejuice. Yeah, uh, mainly in the 80s, he's also, he's known as Ferris Bueller's principal. He's, yeah, uh, he's that side, like, laughable, almost You remember villain. him and everything he's in. It, it, it's, it's, that, it's one of those people that you see his face and you know He's exactly a character he actor. Exactly. Tim Robbins in one of his first breakout <laughs> roles. And, and then Ed Gale, who you might not know the name of, who portrays most of Howard here. But he his career is based off of him being Chucky in the Child's Play movies. Yeah. He was also in Spaceballs, wasn't he? Yeah, he's, he got Spaceballs. Apparently, like Mel Brooks said, anyone that's crazy enough to be Howard the Duck, I want in this movie. Good. I'm not exactly sure who he plays in Spaceballs. Um, I have I, it. Maybe I, I have to see it on IMDb, it. but um, I got to rewatch that movie. It's been way yeah, too long. I, I, it's not yogurt, but maybe he did some of yogurt's body work. I don't, I don't know. So you get all these things here. They said the very first Marvel adaptation ever, not counting serials. Mm-hmm. Like there was the Captain America shit in the 1940s, and then after that, it took another 40 years, and they made this. You got some of the biggest filmmakers on the planet involved. This is a Universal Picture. And then once you start reading about its history, you understand where it went so wrong. This was supposed to be animated. The writing and directing duo, they originally wanted this to be a straight-up animated movie, and it was going to be closer to the comic book, which I've never read of, and most I don't think most Marvel fans have either. It got refreshed a couple years ago, but its existence is the 70s, and it's like an existential comic that's about absurdity and surrealism, and it's basically... Hey, look, I'm a duck on in man's world, except that, that's just as crazy as anything else on this world because everything is nonsensical. Yeah, you know, some about that makes more sense if it were animated. Although, of, of course, I think with George Lucas producing, he would want it to, you know, be PG. But I could see Ralph Bakshi doing something like this. No, that's what's crazy, though. George Lucas wanted it to be animated, too. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how it worked out, but he really? had some kind of, like, deal with Universal and he had to do a live action movie. I'm not sure what the other film would have been. See, somehow um, I, just, I don't know. I, I guess not. I'm wrong now. But I would have assumed he would have been the one to push it for live action because he's always trying to be on the forefront of technology and and pushing oh, yeah, that he, forward. Because it's really as easy as it is to shit on this movie. I really got to give it credit just in the technical department yeah, because everything technical about this movie like, is interesting. Yeah, it's easy the, to it's, just look over it, but holy shit, this movie's really big. Like it's not shoot in. The duck looks awesome. Yeah, the no, go the, motion effects at the end, like the chase sequences. Like I said, the music. It had to be um, like a technical problem every step of the way because just the duck, man. Like yeah. uh, to, to get um. Uh, shoot, you just said it's Ed Gale um, in the suit. And then, well, it's not just Ed Gale. It's like no, four other people, it, including some child yeah, actors. Yeah, there was a kid gets, that they had problems yeah, with because, so he you, gets you know, it's top billing. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, just to get, I mean, the, the sinking on the beak, it works. I mean, just to get that right, that's got to be a pain in the ass. All the movements no, of the, the guys. No, the craziest and, thing about that beak sink, too, is on set, Ed Gale and Puppeteers are moving no way the they could lips. record that on set. I'm, I'm guessing it was ADR. Yeah, the, the person who does the voice wasn't cast until post-production. Mm-hmm. They did all of that voice sync after the fact. Like, literally someone on set was yelling out of a microphone, and yep. that's what people were bouncing their lines off of. I'll be fair. Um, I mean, as, as easy as it would be to criticize some performances here, um, you know, watching this, I was not thinking, oh, that, that's, that's obviously ADR. No, that is... 
that is a duck and a voice coming out of a duck and it's interacting with a human being. So to this movie's credit, I bought that. It's really good. Uh, like that, that's probably the only really good part about this movie and the opening. I really, really dug the opening. The um, details and all what, that. What, 10 minutes or whatever it was? Not even 10 minutes? Yeah. All of the duck world stuff. Uh, he... Howard walking into his apartment. <laughs> Here's a shot of a, a fake Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom poster it says indiana what is it, indiana stork and the temple of the, boom the, yeah the raiders of the or breeders of the lost stork well, I think. breeders yeah. of the lost stork yeah um splash dance there, there of was a dance. wc fields i uh, think what was it wc no, yeah it, feathers it's may or yeah it's may west may and wc fields and yeah it's may nest all all the duck puns throughout the film but especially uh, in get, that opening which is a hundred percent not in the comics they made that up they made the whole duck world thing up just to sell this idea of hey this is a planet where there's only ducks like instead of the human evolution from apes it's just ducks. to get ready for how bonkers this movie is. I mean, like, I don't know if I'd call it good, but it's just right when you get to that opening, all those overdone puns, it's like, okay, you know, sure, I'll accept it that this is going to keep going on. But then, you know, for me, I, it wasn't just the play duck thing. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a jock itch commercial for ducks, and I was thinking, yeah, this is PG. This is, I mean, I am, I would assume that this was aimed at kids because how could it not be? I don't think so. This is. No, I mean, like, how do you sell this movie to adults, even though there's so much adult stuff in here? But yeah, like, this is going to be very, very weird. I knew about the duck tits thing for a long time. So, you know, that that didn't really surprise me in this one. But yeah, just that jock itch commercial, like for ducks, I was like, wow movie I, I i i don't know how to comprehend a lot of things that happen in that first 20 minutes it's awesome and in a very strange way but i wouldn't call it good it's i think just those opening 10 minutes 15 minutes whatever it is until the actual title comes on screen uh-huh. is seriously like must watch movie shit like that is cinematic gold it really is just how uh, metaphysical it is like George Lucas making executive producing and like show running a movie that is basically kind of making fun of his own movies, just how over the top it is. And yeah, maybe it's PG, but it doesn't seem like it. it's almost like R X rated in just that opening m- number. Uh, and then like it, it goes a step further, like maybe the movie itself isn't great, but you get that amazing gag when Howard finally goes to sleep after coming to earth and Leia Thompson's going through his wallet, and you're like, you know, it's like, oh, look, here's the cool money. Yeah, his Washington D.C. ID, here's this, and here's a fucking condom. <laughs> uh, someone in the I laughed prop out department loud. It was really good. had Made to a, create a, a duck condom. No, they just took a condom. It was a regular condom. All right, but, you know, the one inconsistency I did find, um, you know, just I, I wasn't looking at it, like, intently, but it's just like, okay, he's from Washington D.C., but then they pull out a $1 note. And you could tell that it's based off the actual $1 bill because it does say Washington on there. So it was like, oh, no, you you made a mistake. No, it said Washington. No, no, no. On on his license, it did. But on the $1 note, you look back on it, it does say Washington in small print. I didn't pause it. Yeah, no, I wasn't. It's like there's so many of those details. It's just something I noticed. But it's like, yeah, okay, you know, they do go overboard on the details. But I spotted the one flaw on there. And it was there on the $1 note. Um, even though it's it's what the United States of uh, Amer, it was something weird. Something, it was, some it was something duck, uh, really weird. Like terminology. I looked up a, a still of the ID, and it says instead of like birthday, it says uh, hatch day, <laughs> and it says like feathers white. Like it, yeah, I'll give them credit; they were really, really detailed on uh, on no, just the Universal uh, production went design went for it department. on this thing. This is like a thirty-five million dollar budget. Yeah, that's a 80s, lot of money for them. That's that's a lot, a that's, lot of money. Like that was almost a hundred million. You can get two aliens for that price that's how much money that is i just 
I I don't like this movie, but I love a lot about it. In particular, like I kind of skimmed over it a little bit. Just the the chase scene isn't good, but it is technically kind of amazing that you have this person in this duck outfit on this plane mm-hmm. and it's jumping around and doing yeah. this like when when they're going over the the duck hunters and he's like bonsai and, and he's, tour, he's going tour, he's like tour. i'm gonna get, yeah like those, those little jokes while this scene is happening and the cop cars flipping over it's like george lucas wanted john landis to direct this and he said no because it's it reminded him too much of blues brothers and totally does but <laughs> kind of in a good way just the way it ends where it's like oh you got these musical numbers it's like outlandish and funny you got weird outfits and like where did this action blockbuster shit come from? Like, the final 40 minutes of this movie, if you just saw... If you cut that into, like, a two-minute trailer, and it's like, Howard the Duck might seem like it's a joke a minute, but this is some serious shit, and then you see, like, these car chases, you'd be like, I kind of want to see this. Looks like This looks like an interesting movie. Like That might be how they put it together. I've not even seen the trailer yet to yeah, me, uh, figure out how they put the intro together for this episode, but... Something I really, um, I really did like too. Just some of the editing here. It's it's right when he lands. Just how things, um, it's how things weird, get yeah. chaotic and like you know there are so many weird gags happening. Like he's tossed onto some guy's um, arm. It's like oh hey here's your girlfriend Frankenweenie. Weenie. It's like oh wait and then he gets kicked out. It's like I could spot a kid. No wait that's my date. You know some like that. But I for whatever reason I just really like how it's cut with uh, you know the introduction of the band there and just how. How bump. chaotic that stuff is, yeah, and it's it's like it's not good, but there is some sort of energy to this that works. Where, yet yeah, th- this feels like a professionally made movie where they're really oh, working their asses off. It's and a very professional and, movie. And like when you get down, it's like it's sometimes doing things that are like so well at like keeping my interest in it, but then it's just you know it's, it's just Howard the Duck at the same time. Yeah, yeah. and it's also if it was, I, I got to be honest, like I started to get I was. In entertained in like a so bad it's good way um, at first and then as it got kept going it's like after probably that plane chase I got really bored um, with all I the was, stuff at the end I was no, I was bored before the plane chase like I I didn't I valued the watch like this is one of those how didn't it work movies mm-hmm. I already talked about some of the creative minds behind this the music this band Leia Thompson is actually doing dance choreography playing guitar and singing they didn't dub over her everyone in that band is actually playing the music and they wrote all those songs mm-hmm. for the movie they had probably a good selling soundtrack even though the movie didn't make any money it made nothing it made like two million globally less than its budget yeah. it was nominated for like seven razzies and won a couple which was a record um for a long time uh, but that same year, it was nominated for the exact same a number that Prince's Under Cherry Moon was, which was his follow-up to Purple Rain, which I've never seen, which isn't supposed to be good, and that album's not supposed to be good either, but this isn't about his career, rest in peace. But, like, it's not even just the duck. All the practical effects, especially in the final moments. Like, okay, yeah, we're talking about the car chases, whatever, but when you get to how crazy Jeffrey Jones' makeup transformation is, mm-hmm. and it's actually good, like, eerie good. This idea of this cosmic power building inside of him and turning him evil. And every couple of seconds in the same scene, you look at him again and you're like, wait, what the fuck's going on? And it's like messing with your head. And the only time I've ever seen something like that before is in a film that's very similar to this one, but in like the cult, like classics type of the way is Buckaroo Banzai through the ninth dimension. You have a similar like interdimensional travel type thing going on. Mm -hmm. You got a villain with like crazy nails and hair and weird makeup. 
and then the, the hero in that is Peter Weller. So it, it's like RoboCop meets um, Third Rock from the Sun in like a like that movie is fucking really crazy in a kind of cool way. And then this one is almost crazy, except it's also supposed to be like a huge like mainstream blockbuster with these good-looking girls and fun tunes and great action and pretty funny dialogue. But then it's like even just describing this movie it's just it's howard the duck which is both a good thing and a bad thing but if you look at it and like break it down it is a duck out of water like a showbiz (laughs) movie cosmic comic book adaptation like this does things that current marvel movies don't even do especially with the what is it the dark lords of the cosmos or whatever the fuck it's called it's like it takes every single element that it can from that but it it is a mess really like it's it's a big mess it's kind of a weird combination of like you know things that i guess are 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 part of comics you know like the stuff with like the dark lords for that demon planet that are being transported over but then you know this idea of um you know a manager uh you know trying to help a band like get out of their uh, rut and it just being a duck like that's uh, without minus the duck part that's probably a very 80s story it's not even just eight like they, it's a showbiz story you could switch that out for um like a star is born or then it could be showgirls or it could be um it could be sandy wexler you but know this like, is also an example of how comic book movies were bad at the time because why th- the reason they didn't work is that they did not understand the essence of uh what made a comic work or the characters work that's oh. why in the 80s and 90s we got so many shit uh movies out of that time i don't think that's what it was it was more but is there really you know i guess we can't really speak to knowing what the comic is but i mean would you say in any way that this like you can feel that the essence of what this character is and what it's supposed to be just based off this movie like is it anywhere close to that i don't know like i said most marvel fans but if you had to guess though do you think so i'm not sure like in the the research that i did on the character and steve gerber's like just his writing and stuff like that seemed really interesting. Like I wanted to give it a shot. Matter of fact, when they rebooted the line a couple years ago, one of the first story arcs that they did was actually super meta. And it was like a, it, it was a, a, like a different take on this film where they made a Howard, the duck movie. Like that's part of the comic. And that it was an alien that was playing Howard in the movie or like something just really zany and fucking bonkers. Um, but like Howard, like teamed up with Spider-Man and shit, like man thing. (laughs) And you just, you wouldn't be able to do that in a movie then or now. Like if Spider-Man like entered Guardians of the Galaxy and was in the museum, was like, Hey, I don't know you. Didn't we work together once or before or something? Like I, it wouldn't, I don't think it'd work. My favorite thing in this movie is right at the end, which is great. Well, it's bookend. I love the opening and like a joke here or there throughout. And then I love the ending, the final confrontation, and then the musical like uh, closing. When you get this, when Jeffrey Jones is finally like whatever you want to call it, baptized, and he is disemboweled, and this alien thing leaves him, mm-hmm. and you have this amazing—it's not stop motion, but it's go motion claymation yeah, going on. Tippet. Yeah, who did fucking the Tauntauns? At ats, he made Ed two hundred nine for RoboCop. He worked on Jurassic Park. He worked on Starship Troopers. He worked on just about every major like creature production in a blockbuster since the mid eighties to now. Like he's still a consultant on certain things. He worked on Breaking Dawn. Even if it doesn't quite blend in with the film, just because it's so out there, 
but it looks fucking awesome. Like it, I before I even looked up who it was, it totally reminded me of Ed Two Hundred Nine. Even though this is like <laughs> organic creature and that's robotic, just yeah, the way the how menacing it is and the movement and 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 just how it kind of parallels like oh these there's here here's the good guys that are kind of small in frame and then oh here's this fucking huge thing like that that actual action set piece of end sucks like it, it's fucking boring like the but idea the fact that, that there's the love and care put into that monster to make it yeah. look real enough it's like just the lights that kind of go around him when he's gaining his power power like, like the energy that's put eyes. into this movie is like there, there's more passion and hard work being put into this than so much crap that's being made today like uh, you could say that just about almost anything in the 80s or the 90s. Like, I, as far as I'm concerned, that's kind of the peak for action spectacle making because uh, really, like, they're, you know, they could only do things practically and they would work their asses off to make everything believable that was out there that they could. And now, you know, not to knock on CGI, it's there's still so much great stuff, but it gets easier that, yeah, the hard work and the effort and, you know, just try to, you know, working your ass off to the point where your hands bleed, that, you know, that art is kind of lost now. It doesn't really happen. It's like George Lucas loved this movie so much. He was telling people at its release, like, just wait, give it 20 years. People will love it. It's been 30 years. And there's people that love it. I, I know there's people that love everything on the planet. But it's been 30 years, and some things age well, and this isn't one of them. And even if it is technically, like, incredible, it really is that in this time in Hollywood that they even made this movie with a totally unproven character or, or like property and that this was the first Marvel movie like this is the reason why Marvel sold their properties like this and also like the Roger Corman Fantastic Four and we were lucky to get the Sony Spider-Man films and the Fox like X-Men we were just so lucky that those things happened because Marvel fucked up so bad and just going yeah George Lucas you, you make good movies have it please take it please like the story is uh price i forget his first name who was running universal at the time was fired over this and variety like they posted a headline not posted but they printed a headline this before the internet that said uh duck cooks prices goose which apparently is like a (laughs) super famous variety headline like people lost their jobs over this like if it wasn't george lucas if you're a re- like a regular producer, yeah, like you'd probably not work in Hollywood again. Yeah, like, what else has uh, Leah Thompson been in other than Back to the Future? Really? A-, a lot. I'll get to that in a second. Right. Willard Hook, though, this was the final thing he directed. His directing career was over. Before this film, directly before this, he made another thing that flopped super hard. Like, almost everyone here, even Ed Gale to an extent, like the creative teams and everyone, their career just died. Besides Tim Robbins, besides Leah Thompson. Besides mm-hmm. Jeffrey Jones, like the fact that you, you gotta got... remind me that Tim Robbins is. I'm sorry, but like I know it's early in his crazy career, Tim but, Robbins. Oh my god, like just uh, he's very passionately doing what he's doing like, here. It's just he's he's the worst in this movie. Like he's you know memorialized because of Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, but most of his roles are super zany. The player, Cadillac Man. I mean, that player's a uh, Hudsucker Proxy. You know, it, but it's it's zany. But I don't I don't think he's zany in it though. He's, no, he's, he's not. No. But yeah, the film itself. But like all the other, yeah, I'm confused. Like I know him for serious stuff like Jacob's Ladder and uh, you know Shawshank Redemption. Hudsucker Proxy is like more one fuck? of those Coen Brothers films that's he's a bit in zany. A film with Martin Lawrence called Nothing to Lose. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, Leah Thompson. No, 
This was, she's not just known for Back to the Future. Matter of fact, and this was my favorite factoid about this film. John Hughes and Howard Dutch really wanted her, I'm assuming more John Hughes, really wanted her to be in Some Kind of Wonderful, which is a film I'm pretty confident you haven't seen. Nope. Seriously, it's sad actually how little John Hughes 80s movies I've seen. It's not, well, John Hughes, but not really, in the same way that Pretty in Pink is. Howard Dutch was like one of his most trusted collaborators. He directed three or four of his screenplays, Pretty in Pink, Some Kind of Wonderful, The Great Outdoors. So John Hughes is mostly known for Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Sixteen Candles, Weird Science, Weird Science. Well, Weird Science kind of, but The Breakfast Club. Okay. Yeah. So Leia Thompson at the top of her game. You got to remember, like her career began before Back to the Future. She's in Red Dawn. She's <laughs> in. Let me. I was looking it up last night. Like she's in a pretty incredible list of films at the beginning of her career. It's just most people kind of forget about her because she's in Back to the Future trilogy. Just, yeah, she's in Jaws three D. <laughs> All the right moves with Tom Cruise, Red Dawn, like I said, something called Going Undercover, which sounds kind of interesting. Back to the Future, and then a year after Back to the Future made this, her career was in such like spiral. She was so concerned about like just being fucked over and never working again in Hollywood, which work happens after for this. people. Yeah, after this, which yeah. happens a lot when you're in a big flop, that she said yes to John Hughes. She finally made some kind of wonderful, and this is how interesting that film is. Not only is it one of three films that I used as examples in my thesis paper, The Women of Shermer, Illinois' Feminism and John Hughes Films. So that paper wouldn't exist. But even better than that, after she filmed Some Kind of Wonderful, she married the director at Howard Dutch. So if Howard the Duck didn't exist, she wouldn't have been in the movie that she met her husband filming, and then she wouldn't have made several films with him. She, she was in something. met a Howard D., I think is what <laughs> you're saying. Uh, but I've actually, I've seen her in other things. Um, so I'm pretty sure she does not regret this movie. She said, like, in interviews that she still has the guitar from this film. She plays it. Like, mm-hmm. I think the only thing she regrets is letting her fucking tease her hair the way it is in this film. Because that took, like, two hours and she wished <laughs> she wore a wig. Uh, but she was in Casual Sex, which I've seen, which is not good. It's, like, a weird 80s uh, sex comedy with her and Victoria Jackson, a name that no one knows anymore. She's in a... Tales from the Crypt episode, which I'm pretty sure her husband directed. Uh, she's in a couple of Westerns. She's in something called Article 99 that I was looking up last night that has, like, a really great cast, also by Howard Dutch. She's the bad guy in the Beverly Hillbillies movie adaptation, which I kind of forgot existed. She's also in Dennis the Menace. That's so. a thing? But whoa. <laughs> and Little Rascals. She's the, the teacher in that. So she was in a series of adaptations in the mid-90s, and then her career kind of ended after that. She got like, a little she's too mostly old. Got TV work. Now she does TV stuff. Like, she's probably just doing nothing, like just voice acting. Steady. I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I would imagine if Back to the Future gets a reboot or a sequel or whatever, that she would be involved in some way. I, all of them. That should never happen, ever. We're all agreed on that, right? It's going to happen. Um, but yeah, no, uh, not I'm, while Zemeckis is alive. I'm, I'm happy that, that movie's so perfect that it can still play well in theaters today. Like it'd be stupid to remake that. Not a remake, but a a continuation. Yeah. I, I I still see it happen. All I gotta do is figure it out. Yeah. If if Indiana Jones Five is happening when Harrison Ford is seventy seven years old, mm-hmm. anything's possible. But yeah, I I I love this film just for the fact that some kind of wonderful exists because <laughs> it it wouldn't exist the way it does without her. Um, and it's not my favorite John Hughes movie. I've only seen it twice, but it is the most different from his the rest of his filmography. Like it follows, it's it's Pretty in Pink to a T, except you you've seen that, right? No. Pretty in Pink is Molly Ringwald. 
she's a poor girl who's into weird shit and she somehow starts dating a rich guy and it's all about school politics and like mm. you like you can't it's all about Reaganomics you can't date him because he has money you can't date her because she doesn't have money it's like a Romeo and Juliet thing uh, more so like a Cinderella thing um, but yeah so some kind of wonderful is a flip of the coin on Pretty in Pink instead it's about like a middle class dude who decides that he's going to cash in his life savings that's meant for college just so he can impress a girl at school that he really likes. Um, but they're they're like the same fucking movie. They really are. Like, very similar. Except there's a lot of heart in Some Kind of Wonderful. And it's set in L.A., which is really weird because no John Hughes film is besides that one. Or maybe it's not set in L.A., but it's totally filmed here. Anyway, that's not related. Um, so, yeah. Howard the Duck. Thank you, George Lucas, for helping make this movie with the people that are in it. Because it really is, it's not a so bad it's good. That that would be, it's not bad enough for that. This is no. just a shitty movie that's way too long. It's that, really just a not good script that has a lot of things going on. And, I mean, I you know, like, it's, it's, it's definitely, there's stuff out there that, in this that's very weird. Uh, but kind of enjoyable to watch. But, you know what, it... It does get pretty boring for me in the end, but like I, it's just kind of interesting just to see it for the fact that it exists. But yeah, like I can't. I, I've seen so many worse movies within the past year that are just like, I, I don't. I like I can't. Even, I don't even really get that angry with movies. I like what was the last movie that really pissed me off? I think it was The Do Over. Like it's really rare, rare for something to really piss me off and think of as an abomination and this is definitely not that this has some good moments like this is the perfect example of a movie where you could take a two-minute segment put it on youtube and send it to someone and they would really like it yeah yeah and they would want to see the movie like there's a lot of those really really like the john barry score here a lot for specifically the love theme yeah the love Um, theme's good i like howard's theme just howard's when he when he's on the chase and he's like getting into the groove of things he has that fucking line he's like if god wanted us to fly he wouldn't have taken our wings away which like out of context doesn't make sense but whatever like any of those kind of moments where like tim robbins just being this like sidekick which is when you think of them it's not something you picture no how especially he's tall he's six four howard the duck is three one (laughs) something literally twice his height is well, his Tim dumb sidekick is slouching a lot and just twitching a lot and it's just his character. It, yeah, it, it's it, it's a really weird character. Yeah. But th- like in the way that this film was made, it kind of makes me go, yeah, I wonder if this is a like if they actually had a comic th- book that was the exact story of this. I'm like, oh, would that be good or better yet if this was a TV show? I wonder what that would be like. Or even better, I've read that the novelization of this movie is actually really good. Like incredibly good like it's not like oh it's so bad it's good or it's it's just literally a good book how um, does that work um, i i don't know i am like i'm curious because i i like the characterizations tend to be the like you know the same thing scene for scene so how is it just it being rewritten or i don't know but i i, I like the characters here i like the setup i like the world it's just it's not believable, which makes sense because hey, it's a comic book adaptation. Into this reality, but like, at it's all, really. like even the people that are totally bewildered by this duck walking around. 
Is that's that really a duck, man? Is that really that's how you duck. would respond to that? Well, like, it's, I mean, it's, it's weird. Like you know, at first he's being carried in a trash bag because they're worried that he's gonna yeah. freak out. But then he's just walking around freely, getting a fucking job too. Yeah, work at a going sauna. just that the way that that whole section works, where yeah, the movie starts off really strong, unemployment. Yeah, the and, way like, what was it like? Oh, you look like a psycho. It's like, well, I gotta shop this way at the kids section at Goodwill. You know. Yeah. Like, there's no sense of reality the, here. It's the just, way that it's he just kind of having fun. Not just the way he lands that job, or the fact that he basically works in a fuck motel, or how he lands back in Beverly's world. His quack foo thing, and like uh, <laughs> beating up the manager, become the manager. His fashion sense, which is actually something that I really like here. The suspenders and the clothes. Like probably the weirdest thing about this movie is right before it was made, Howard the Duck was like hit basically by a copyright infringement by Disney, and they said, Howard the Duck is too reminiscent of Donald Duck. What? And so Marvel went, okay, yeah, we'll put some pants on him then so he doesn't look like him. And so they gave him pants in this movie. He has pants. 20 years after this movie comes out, Marvel is owned by Disney, and then they put Howard the Duck in one of their movies when Donald Duck hasn't been in one of their movies since the 60s, maybe? Uh, 70s, I'm perhaps? Sure. Uh, like a... Straight to video Disney movie, just period at all in any capacity. Straight really, but really, we we've had this conversation before. Donald like, Duck, Goofy, well, not Goofy because he was in two Goofy. goofy movie, yeah, Goofy was an extreme Goofy movie and Goofy movie. It's like I'm trying to think back. There had to have been something with Donald. Like no, I swear there was a CGI version of it Donald got point. TV show stuff. He got uh, Ducktales and um, Fantasia 2000 was probably the last time. Yeah, but yeah, I I can't shit on this movie like. Everyone else has. It, it's, I don't hate it's it. It's bad. Like it. It's it's a. You're very... gonna remember the bad stuff, and you're gonna laugh at it. I mean, every time that Howard got into a fight in this, I was just I was smiling with glee, just waiting to see how, just how this would all go, go together. I mean, when he's fighting with the manager there, just going like, "Is this yeah. gonna be easy, or is this gonna be trouble?" Trying to do his John Wayne voice, and it's a fucking duck. Like I rolled my this, eyes man. a lot. But I also laughed you can't a good help amount. But, like smile a little bit at the fact that this is happening, you know. But like, yeah, like there were I, there I, are I, genuinely funny moments here too. The the whole wallet gag, the opening in Duck World, Tim Robbins, not the first time you meet him, but like the pizza shit. When when Tim Robbins is like, Oh, I brought pizza oh, and Howard's I'm like watch you take your clothes off. He's like how, he's like, What's pizza? And he's like, It doesn't it, it's gooey cheese, like it doesn't matter or whatever. I was like, What, huh? Uh, the egg gag, for instance, the fried eggs thing. Just Jeffrey yeah. Jones, period. Like, his transformation. Yeah, just that diner scene, actually, in general, is kind of fun. It's a Cajun sushi place. What the f- I mean, that's how seriously you should take this movie. Like, it, it's so- Just- A character takes a fucking tongue out of his mouth that uh-huh. looks like a long-ass tentacle, goes into a cigarette lighter to gain energy, <laughs> and then five minutes after that, goes to a nuclear power plant- to absorb the power. I'm still just amazed by that explanation alone that there is a planet filled with demons that were cast out. The way Howard's head goes erect in that <laughs> oh almost my God. sex scene like, wow. was so cool. Someone designed that suit specifically yeah, to, to do, do that. that. Had to pull like on some string or something or uh-huh. hit a button to get it to do that. That's insane. Like that wasn't the first time I've seen Leia Thompson in revealing underwear. She obviously Back does that future. in in uh, Back to the Future in a certain way, but in uh, maybe not the best part of some kind of wonderful. But Just, you see her tits in that. 
And like the craziest idea, and like this is in now. that paper I wrote, is some dude directed a girl, used the male gaze for this scene, and then married her shortly thereafter. And they, as far as I'm aware, they're still married. It's one of those Hollywood marriages that stood the test of time. And it's like you you fell in love with this girl when you literally forced her to get naked on screen or almost I naked. I want to see it now. It's it's a good movie. Like it's yeah. a good double feature with Pretty in Pink. I don't think you would like Pretty in Pink, but some kind of wonderful is really good. Um I can't recommend this one. This isn't even Diamond Dozen. This is like you owe it to yourself to watch this if you claim to be a Marvel fan or if you watch comic movies like I do. If you have a fascination of Gardens of the Galaxy or you laughed at the cameo. Like I was aware of who Howard the Duck was. Like, oh, it's that duck that smokes a cigar that was the basis of this really bad George Lucas movie that no one ever talks about besides how bad it is. Like I've gone to comic book shops and talked to the clerks about this movie and they told me not to watch it. When your profession is to sell products to people and you're telling me not to watch an adaptation of it, and it's one of the first adaptations of its kind, you know it's got to be bad. And I knew that, like, months ago, and yet I still had to see it. And I don't regret watching it. Like, no, a movie has no. to be really, really, really special, a special kind of turd for me to go, why? And I I can't remember the last time I had one of those moments at all. I, I just, I really can't. I it's, think it speaks more also to the current state of cinema that it's sad that it's easier to make something far worse than this today and it comes out. If this was considered one of the worst movies of its time, which, you know, thinking back, yeah, I, I, I can, can totally see that. See yeah. that. The yeah, studio system that, was completely different back then. I could see how this could piss people off. But, um, you know, now, no, it's, it's not that bad. It's not good. I mean, it, it's definitely, it's one of those movies where it's kind of fun to make fun of it and it's sort of special for that, like... When I get in conversations with people now that want to shit on this movie, then, you know, I might have something to contribute to like, oh, yeah, but what about this part? But it's like, yeah, I'm not going to try to dissuade this movie from anybody and be like, you know, like if you're interested in seeing it, you know, you should just to really understand it. And there's people that actually like this movie. I mean, you know, I, even if a movie's really, really bad, I, I would never tell anybody to actively avoid it because for all I know they might actually enjoy it or see something that I don't, or, you know, they might have something like with you and Biodome. Like, I, I don't think it's a good movie. I seriously think you make a good case for why you enjoy it. And I think that that's absolutely worth listening to in that episode. A lot of people like Biodome. It, it's not You're like the first person to ever do that, to tell me that I've met several people in my life that liked Biodome. I think the problem is when you talk to people, especially in filmic circles, it's kind of like this movie. There's certain mm-hmm. films that you've been told throughout your life, like, don't watch that. Don't when see you're it. Told stay that, away. Then you're just, you know that you're going to be a little bit more kinder to it because you're like, I, I don't know how. It's just insane how people get passionate about how much they hate something. And I, I swear, I rarely do it, even though there are, like, the do-over really pissed me off when I watched it. See, I didn't, um, I didn't like that movie. I really hated certain moments. But there was a ton of redeeming factors for me. One, mm-hmm. seeing David Spade in a starring role for the first time in like he deserved eight better, years. Man. Maybe he deserved better, but he was also in Joe Dirt 2 the year before, and that was <laughs> I turned that off. That was so bad. So, like, in comparison, yeah, it was a step up. Um, the the closing, getting to hear a Madonna song in an Adam Sandler movie. It was cool. I don't like, remember that. Uh, it, it was right at the end when uh, they're getting on the moped and like going down the stairs or whatever, and they play, uh, it's a song in 13 Going on 30. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Uh, 
I'm waiting for a moment like this. It's so brand new. I feel it in my kiss. I'm wa- I'm crazy for you. There you go. Um, that's a good song. That's a good song. Like I'm a sucker for certain music, and Howard the Duck does it. Like Battle Dome, it's the music. Freddie Got Finger, I love the soundtrack in that. I, I know you haven't seen it yet, but 20th Century Music uh, Women, great music. If you can, we'll get to that hopefully if, soon. If you can make a movie and you can put some music of the time period, let alone make music from the time period like this film does, and it just sells this world in a certain way. Like I was actually reminded in a certain kind of vein of Gem in the Holograms in this movie both adaptations of Mm -hmm. like comic books or cartoons that are music centered that have like a girl band making music and then there's weird like hijinks and action set pieces to go along with that less so in the the john chu adaptation but in the cartoon which was popular at the time of this movie's release that's what you got and it's like i could see why they thought that this was interesting or like why this was filmable because just on paper, you have an all-girl like rock band. Mm-hmm. By today's standards, like that's still uh, ahead of the curve. Like outside of last, well, two years ago's *Jam of the Holograms*, I can't really think of a movie that has an all-girl band that's at least from America. Like *We Are the Best* a couple years ago did it, and there's actually like a real great scene in that movie where they're like, "Oh, now we have this girl band from here," and they're like. We're not I a really girl want band. to say that there is one at least within this decade that. Um, oh yeah, there's a big some. Release. There's some biopics. Yeah, there's. It's, um, no, no, I, I, I mean, the like, as, far as a fictional movie that might be a comedy or something, but uh, there's really nothing no. memorable enough that I can think of. No, but the, I, the only I one I can. One. The only one I can think of from this country is is the Runaways biopic. I think it was called the Runaways. With, yeah. Uh, it was that Dakota Fanning um, and uh, Kirsten Stewart. Yeah, Kirsten yeah, that Stewart. Was, that was 2009 though, so not really this decade. Almost this decade. Um, outside of that one, I can't think of any. Gem and Holograms, seriously. Like, that's that's it. Thanks for listening. We hope it's been a pleasure. If you like this show and you want to hear more of our wonderful voices on a weekly basis, check out Two Cents. I'll recap what's happened in film, TV, and tech news. We're also on the titular Dollar Review Show, a spoiler-free critique of new releases or anything we've discovered on our own, whether that be TV, music, etc. You can find all of our content at dollarreviews.net. Follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook at Dollar Reviews. And we're also on Google Play Music, iTunes, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, just about anywhere on the internet with hours of content available to you for free. But for those of you that feel that the show is worth your dollar, you can send us a donation at patreon.com slash dollarreviews. Contributions not only earn our undying love, but they also make it possible for us to improve our recording equipment and to give you the highest quality episodes possible. But more importantly, they'd be helping us acquire the content to review. You know, trips to the multiplex are expensive, and the more donations we receive, the more films we can review for your listening pleasure. If you listen somewhere we're currently not available, you'd like to contribute some talking points, send a debt to cinema request, or if you just want to laugh at us, you can do so by reaching out to us on social media or send an email to brian at dollarreviews.net. Or you can email me as well, steve at dollarreviews.net. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Brian Gillis, that's B-R-Y-O-N-G-I-L-L-I-S, and now you know how to spell the email too, and also under the same name on the Love You site, Letterboxd, which acts as my film diary, where I rate films that I'm watching, write the occasional review, and even sometimes compile lists. You can also find me on Twitter at S underscore MTX and also follow my film diary at Letterboxd under the same name where I log everything I watch and sometimes write brief reviews. That's it for this week. Until next time, keep the change.